Well, this morning we're continuing with our study through the book of John and especially uh, through the great high priestly prayer of Christ. It's found in John chapter 17. And uh, we've noticed uh, a number of the prayer requests of Jesus. And we, uh, in the last few weeks, we've talked about his prayer that the, that the Father would sanctify us in Christ and that the purpose of that is that we would be one and the idea of our union in Christ and not just with Christ but also with one another is uh, is really central in this prayer and uh, I think we would say in the Gospel of John and uh, so this morning we're coming to a, a really interesting uh, really interesting prayer uh, uh, aspect of this prayer of Jesus. And uh, I just want to read, I'm going to start in verse 20 and uh, read down through verse 23. Jesus says, I do not ask on, on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then he says this, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. What an interesting thing for Jesus to say that the glory that the Father has given to the Son, <laughs> that, that glory he has given to his disciples uh, and that that is uh, for the purpose of our union, our unity, our oneness with him. Now that uh, is the very essence of the basic nature of our unity is this glory. Uh, that's a very interesting thing for Jesus to say. Do you feel glorious? <laughs> I wonder what it feels like to feel glorious. Well, this is, I think, in that scripture we read from Second uh, Corinthians uh, that uh, that we read just a minute ago. Second Corinthians chapter three. First of all, uh, Paul writes, "But we all." We, not me, not you, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And then uh, later in, in chapter 4, he's just, you know, a few sentences later, he says, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Paul also is identifying this same reality that Jesus is stating in, in his prayer, the glory you've given me, I've given them. And Paul says, beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image now, this is uh, a critical aspect of our union. This is the thing, we are one in this way, in that we are the people who have seen and now reflect the very glory of God that is revealed in Christ. <laughs> so, you feel glorious? It makes you want to ask if it's true. Things just look ordinary. I look like an ordinary person. I'm not, my face isn't shining. What is this glory? Well, we've talked a little bit about this in previous weeks, and uh, we've noticed this. Glory is greatness on display or greatness appreciated, admired, uh, applauded. Glory is greatness displayed. So how is the greatness of God demonstrated or displayed in the person of Jesus Christ? That, that's a very good question. I mean, Jesus looked like an ordinary person. People, he would he he would claim to be the son of God, and people didn't just believe him because you know he was exhibited some sort of unusual glory. Uh, so, how is the greatness of God displayed in the person of Jesus Christ? How has the Father given His glory to the Son, and then how is it given to us? How is the greatness of Christ reflected by or in us? So to get an idea about this, I want to track the concept of glory through the book of John. And uh, so I, let's, let's just uh, take a little trek. I'll try to do this quickly. It goes all the way back to chapter 1, of course. <laughs> chapter 1. And verse 14, John writes, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. A little later in verse 18, he says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained or revealed or manifested him. So what was John seeing when he says we saw his glory? Well, there's a bit of a clue full of grace and truth, but maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, well, let's, let's continue uh, our little trek through the book. In chapter 2, verse 11, 
John says, uh, makes this comment after Jesus did the miracle of changing water into wine. He said, this is the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Uh, So that miraculous work was a demonstration of the greatness of God in the life of Christ. Uh, If we go on, we can see in in chapter 5, Jesus says, I don't receive glory from men. I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I've come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? So Jesus is saying, look, I don't, I'm not glorified by you. I'm glorified by God. Uh, later on in chapter 7, he says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. So Jesus is telling you, I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm seeking to glorify God. Very interesting. A little later on, he says uh, in chapter 11, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 8, he says the same thing. I do not seek my glory. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Now, in chapter 11, we come to a special case, and that's the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, when he first hears about Lazarus, they say, you know, they they say, well, uh, he says, we're not going to go right away. He says, this sickness is not to end in death, <laughs> but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man, Son of God, may be glorified in it. Later, he says uh, to Martha. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And in the middle of that whole discussion, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So the death of Lazarus uh, becomes an occasion for the demonstration of the glory of of God in the life of Jesus. Uh, In chapter 12, we read this in verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. In verse 23 of uh, chapter 12, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He prays, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
Now, we've looked at this before when we talked about the hour has come. What is this hour that has come? Well, it's the hour of the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the return of Christ to the Father. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How is he glorified? Well, he's glorified in dying. <laughs> he's glorified in dying, in resurrection, in ascension, in his coronation, to be seated at the right hand of God. Now, so far, this is all sort of between God and Jesus. But <clears throat> in chapter 14, then, he's talking to the disciples about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will love you, my Father will love you, and I will love you, and manifest myself to you. He's talking about this fellowship uh, with God in Christ that the disciples will enjoy and uh, that will generate obedience from them. He says this in that context, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So here, now we're getting caught up into this. So this is where the part, Jesus says, the glory you've given me, I've given them. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. <laughs> so the glorification of the Father God in the Son of God involves His giving in response to our prayers. Wow. A little later on in John chapter 15, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He said, I bear much fruit, and you bear much fruit. This is a glory to God. Later in chapter 16, he says, Of the work of the Spirit, he will glorify me. This is the work of the Spirit, to glorify Christ, the Son of God. He will take what's mine and disclose it to you. So Christ's greatness is displayed to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> at the very end of the book of John, you know, John or Jesus has this conversation with Peter at the very end of the book, you know, the do you love me conversation. And uh, <laughs> in that conversation, how Peter is going to die comes up. And John makes this comment. He says, now this he, that's Jesus, said, signifying by what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, follow me. So Peter's death is going to be a glorification of God. Now, I guess 
we might want to notice that this is not our usual idea of glory. This is not our the, the usual way we think of this idea of you know someone becoming spectacularly famous and being applauded wherever they go and uh, you know the great man. Well, we've seen this before in the book of John. Jesus is kind of a disappointing savior. The the people of even the disciples, but the people of Jesus' time, they weren't looking for humility in their Messiah. They were looking for great power, strength. Uh, they were looking for the great king. And yet, Jesus demonstrates the glory of God in a really unexpected way. So I just wanted to try to summarize some of the things I see in these scriptures that we've looked at. First of all, Jesus demonstrates the glory of God, or the glory of God is given to Jesus in that Jesus puts total confidence in his relationship to the Father. Jesus loves the Father, and he's absolutely confident in the Father. This is an aspect of their relationship. And related to that is the second thing. He puts total trust in the provision of the Father. So he's always saying, you know, I only say what he says. I only do what he gives me to do. Whatever he gives me to do, I do. I completely trust God. But you know when we most see this trust is in the work of the cross. Jesus trusts the Father to the point of dying, where his life is completely absolutely in God's hands. And that fits with this idea when Jesus says the hour has come, the hour he's going to die is the hour in which he utterly, utterly trusts himself to the Father. And he says also that his sole purpose in his own life, is to reveal the true nature of the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. He, uh, as Hebrews puts it, he's the exact representation of his being. And here in the book of John, he says, I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm not trying to glorify myself. I'm trying to glorify God the Father. And so the glory of the Father is reflected in the Son. And so Jesus says, the glory you've given me. Uh, there's a necessary relationship in the glorification of the Son by the Father. And because of these things, because of this total confidence, this total trust, the sole purpose in Jesus' mind and heart and life is to exhibit the true nature of God in humanity, there's a complete humility in Christ. 
as we read in Philippians, he, he doesn't think, even though, even though equality with God is his, he doesn't cling to it. He lets go. He humbles himself to become one of us and then humbles himself as one of us. Nobody has humbled himself as much as Christ. Now that is like the opposite of glory in the way we think of it. We don't think of glory as putting yourself beneath, and yet that's what Jesus does. What is the greatness Jesus displays? The greatness Jesus displays is the perfect humility that he displays, and especially, of course, in the work of the cross where he is utterly, utterly humbled. And then the perfect exaltation, as we also read in Philippians, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. And Jesus says, I will lay down my life and I will take it up again. And so his resurrection, and now, of course, in these chapters we've been looking at, his his expected return to the Father, his his ascension and his coronation as King of Kings. His, his humility leads to his exaltation. So how does this involve us? Well, we saw last time that the work of the cross reconciles us to one another and to him. And so we are brought in by the work of the cross into this uh, glory. So Jesus says, the glory you've given me, I've given them. Uh, So we looked in Ephesians chapter 2 and we saw that in Christ we are made one and as one new man reconciled to God. So this also shows how the glory of God given to the Son shared with us is the thing that unites us. It's our comprehension of the greatness of God in Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as we read. What an amazing thing that we share in the glory of God. And so you might think, well, Christians don't seem too glorious. They, they look just like everyone else. I'm, one is not any greater than another. How, how is this glory? How does this glory operate? And I think we might want to think about how it operated in the life of Christ. There will come a day, Jesus has promised, he says, in the last day, I will raise him up. So we will participate in the resurrection. It's such a certainty that Ephesians talks about it as though it's already occurred. It says he has raised us from the dead and seated us in Christ at the right hand of God. And so there's the promise of resurrection, of reign even with Christ in the kingdom. Uh, but 
how do we share this glory? Well, we share the same kind of glory. The glory which the Father gave the Son is the glory of total confidence in God, in Christ. Total trust in God's provision in Christ. So things seem to be going badly in my life sometimes, and yet I trust completely in God's provision. Well, this is most exhibited in Jesus when he says, not my will, but yours, and he's talking about the cross. He's saying, look, I trust the Father God totally. No matter how things look in my own life, no matter how hard the struggle might be, I trust in him. Do you see how that elevates God and his greatness? His greatness can be utterly trusted. And I can exhibit this in if my goal in life is to reveal the nature of God in my life. Just as Jesus' goal was not to exalt myself, but to exalt him. And you know, that involves humbling myself. The thing I do that most glorifies God is love someone. I'm willing to make a sacrifice for the benefit of another person. That is the glory of God which was given to me in Christ. If we think about it, uh, I share in the glory of God. And uh, Jesus said, if you bear much fruit. And that's in the context of uh, John chapter 15, where he's talking about abiding in him. Abiding in Him. How do, how do I exhibit the sort of love Jesus exhibited? <laughs> only, only, only if I abide in His love. If I abide in the vine. I abide in the love of Christ. I abide in the love of Christ by the work of the Spirit in my heart. I trust Him. And when I rest in Christ, I become loving. I'm ready to lay down my life for the sake of another person. I adopt his agenda like Jesus adopted the Father's agenda. He says, I only do what the Father leads me to do. And so I can say, I only do what the Lord Jesus has for me to do. And then this uh, sharing of God's glory is provided by the Father in the name of the Son. It's not glorious <laughs> the way we normally think of glorious. It's very down to earth, very even mundane. It's not spectacular, it's lowly. But in 
our humility, we exhibit the nature of God who humbled himself to provide for our salvation. And in our faith, in our trust in him, we can do uh, the most sacrificial things for the sake of another person and especially for the sake of their salvation. I can take the risk of sharing the gospel with someone because I've received it and it is good news. And I've been saved and I rest in the righteousness of Christ and I'm safe and secure in the hand of God and I I can't be lost or condemned or judged by anyone, even God. Well, from that position of security, I can love other people. And that is, in fact, the sharing of the glory of God. The, the glory of God revealed in Christ is the glory of the Savior who humbles himself. So he says, that glory I've given to you. You have the opportunity to humble yourself, to benefit someone else and not seek your own but to seek to love someone that is the glory that we're talking about you know Jesus is the image of God and our expectation is that God would be high and lifted up and of course that's true but we serve a God who also is a perfect example of humility who came not to be served but to serve to seek and to save that which was lost and when we follow that we exhibit the very glory of God Father we thank you for this amazing and seemingly upside-down way that you have brought to us. Lord, we pray that in the life of our church we would see this in reality, that we would love one another as Christ has loved us, that we would be ready to give of ourselves for the benefit of others, that we would be exhibits of your love because we rest in your love because we are perfectly provided for by you we can make any sacrifice we pray that your name would be exalted in this way that we would experience the glory of God in exactly this way we pray these things in Jesus name